Spice fried chicken. Spice fried chicken. Spice fried chicken. Everybody take a drink because Wendy's singing about fried spice fried chicken. <laughs> Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Wendy Bowlesby and Melissa Kirscher. Listeners, this is Melissa, and welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. This is our 45th episode, which means it is time for our third off-topic extravaganza. If you're a longtime listener, you already know what this means, but in case you're not, uh, here's what this means. Our episodes are heavily edited because we record drunk and edit sober. So most of what we cut out are things that nobody will miss, but sometimes we have to clip out something that's pretty entertaining, but it just doesn't fit into the episode. So we save all the clips, and then when we have enough clips to make an entire episode, this is what happens. The audio bits you are about to hear were recorded between August and November of 2014. The audio quality will vary, the subject matter will vary, and the level of sobriety will vary. You will also hear the beautiful voices of Matt Kesson, Gordon Smooter, Sharon Steitler, Rob Callahan, Chris Bowlesby, and Wendy's mom. Please enjoy our third off-topic spectacular. Welcome, listeners, to... Wow, that... (laughs) Try that again. Try that again. I'm not even drinking it. Welcome, listeners, to another... Jesus, fuck. I have a list of of surprise things that I want to throw at awesome. you. So awesome. I, I'm not going to... That is entirely fine. I love a Excellent. guest who shows up prepared. I like this. That's super I like awesome. This. this is beautiful. This is exciting. This is, I don't know what's going to happen. We, we like lists. You like lists. This is going to happen. I love I love a guest who likes lists. Yes. All right. Okay, we're going to start. That doesn't rhyme. That doesn't rhyme either. Why doesn't that rhyme? Fuck you. I don't like this musical at all. <laughs> Welcome to the Xander Cinema Pleasure Dome. Uh, I'm in so, it. You yeah, are yeah, so you in are. it. Do, do you guys need drinks or anything? Uh, it could juice, be fizzies. It, it doesn't have to be alcoholic, although it's weird to have a guest on the Xanadu podcast who's not. Drinking. We've had Tim Wick on. Oh, that's so a fair point. Sober. He's so sober. <laughs> I don't even know why I like that guy. I know, right? And she brought this red wine, and she opened it up. It was some sort of Barbarossa. I just remember Barbarossa being, like, on the, a word on it somewhere. And she opened it, and the scent was so pungent that even standing next to it was like, whoa, that is some... I don't know what's going to happen when we drink that. And it was an amazing wine. It was the kind of wine that walked into your mouth like... Cary Grant entering a room like, hello, <laughs> whatever you're doing, you're going to stop doing it for just a moment and pay attention to me. 
Well, his hopefully all the, all the parts still work. Yeah. yeah, which, you know, who knows what can happen in these I mean, because it could turn into an affair to remember, and then that's just, uh Oh, God. I whew. used to reenact that movie for my parents. Then the first time I, I saw that movie, I was drunk, and by the end, I was throwing beer empty beer cans at the TV. My mom tried to... You idiots! No, it's uh. melodrama. It's melodrama, and it's missed connections, and it's the danger of assumptions and why you should have good communication skills. Oh, I agree. I I oh, just yeah. hated that they weren't communicating with each other and found themselves in this predicament by yeah. the It's like, you yeah. assholes. I know. I know. <laughs> I, I was, yeah, I my mom showed me that movie expecting me to be all like, oh, this is a romantic thing. And I was like, what the hell? And I, I, I just yeah. remember I would just like go around the house and I would walk pretending that my legs didn't work. So I'd be kind of like crawling on the floor. <laughs> and I was like saying, Mom, if if you can learn to paint, I can learn to walk. And she'd get really mad at me. <laughs> How old was I when she showed me that? 11, maybe? Wow. Oh, God, that is not an 11-year-old's movie. I enjoy the flirtation at the beginning of that movie. Mm, yeah. Because mm-hmm. it is. It's lovely and flirty and, and most of light. And improvised. And yeah. And it's so delightfully witty and knowing. Yes. Right? So, oh, I'm so done with this. Oh, look, you're done with this. Everybody thinks we're done. I'm kind of not done with this. Hi. Yeah. How's it going? And then, of course, and then, up, oh, boom. And then it's just like, oh, just fucking tell him. I know. I know. and the, But then we wouldn't have gotten the look of Cary Grant going, oh, like he was having a really bad gas attack. <laughs> Sharon just made an excellent face. It was excellent radio. <laughs> Everybody drink. Everybody drink. Oh. Great radio. Mm. And mm. think of Cary Grant farting when you see that part of the movie. <laughs> so what we need is we need a fart edit of An Affair to Remember. <laughs> Actually, a fart edit of Cary Grant's entire career. Him and Doris Day? That would be delightful. Doris Day would fart like little Tinkerbells. <laughs> I bet Doris Day and Rock Hudson had fart contests. Probably. She's wow. a pretty earthy woman, I think. Yeah. I feel yeah. like she was. Yeah. 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 I think one of the best quotes I ever read about Doris Day was, I knew her before she was a virgin. <laughs> <laughs> but her on-screen persona, I could just picture sort of a... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's apocalypse now, by the way. Apocnow. 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 Which is either Ponfar or Apocnow. Apocnow. Or Jurgen Apocnow. Jurgen Apocnow. (laughs) (laughs) I'm funny. Michael Keaton as a grizzled old actor makes me a very happy, happy woman. He, yeah. Because he, he did a really good job in the Batman films. He's an amazing actor. He really and, is. Have you ever seen Clean and Sober? Yeah. I was yeah. about to say, you're going to say Clean and Sober, aren't you? Yeah. Clean and Sober was just amazing. I'm pretty sure it was back in the 80s when I first saw it, which meant I was way too young to see it. But what a performance. Well, even in movies like Mr. Mom, yeah, he had moments of grounded reality. And how outdated is Mr. Mom these days? Oh, my God. Because it's totally unheard of that a man would care for kids. Between Mr. Mom and Gung Ho. Oh oh my god. Also a Michael Keaton movie. Oh my god, Gung Ho. That's like the one-two punch of really outdated 80s movies. Really kind of uncomfortably outdated. Really? This is what we're making comedy out of? Yeah. Yeah.
Oh my God. Okay. So you mentioned, I'm looking at Melissa's list that she made and it says the killing and it says Durr Stanley Kubrick, but I am tired. I have been drinking and it's tiny print and I don't have my glasses on and I'm getting old now. I thought that was Dr. Stanley Kubrick. And then I started like envisioning Dr. Strangelove. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just more like Kubrick as like, I don't know, your family physician. <laughs> He wouldn't have a warm bedside manner. No, he would not. <laughs> and like, I and honest to God, what actually happened was Floyd from The Shining. Now, I know that Kubrick looked completely different, but Dr. Stanley Kubrick looks like Floyd from The Shining. <laughs> and he comes into the room and he okay. talks to you about how you might need to discipline your, your family. <laughs> it was very strange in my head for a minute there. But George, I think she's got it. The rain in Spain stays mainly in the plains. There's the melody. <laughs> the rain in Spain stays mainly in the plains. The one thing that bothers me about My Fair Lady is all the the voice dubbing. Because, like, just about nobody has yeah. their natural voice in the film, and then Rex Harrison just talks his way through it. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> really? It's like, hell, guys. You dub... Audrey Hepburn, but you decide not to dub Rex Harrison. And then, like, it becomes a thing. Hi, I'm Rex Harrison. I'm starring in a movie musical where I will not sing. Because there's Dr. Doolittle, too. That's true. He's been on Broadway with this, though. He was a known actor. It's still BS. So he was the singer in it, Julie I almost feel like, though, I respect that more than I do the shitty singing we get from modern musicals. Oh, God. Where the, they cast people who can quote, quote, sing. Ugh. Well, they yeah, can carry they, they learned the wrong lesson from Moulin Rouge. Oh, my God, they really yeah. did. Yeah. One thing that I think is interesting, and this is just me completely nerding out for a moment, is that uh, in the original Spanish, if you translate the uh, title of this film from its original Spanish, it's Labyrinth of the Fawn. <laughs> and throughout it, the, the, the creature, you know, the, the Doug Jones creature is called the fawn rather yeah. than pan and i'm i i i don't know i wonder a little bit why that translation was made into english why uh, why pan we care more is, about pan pan is is going to be more recognizable as a creature and a you um, think pan and a character a, than well the fawn you think but, but I, I think i think if you put fawn on an american poster people will think the homonym a young deer, oh, they'll think yeah, Bambi. It's, it's, very, it's Pan... a very sweet word, and also, then, if you do re remember it, you're most likely to remember it from the Chronicles of Narnia, well, of course, where yes, Narnia, they're just yeah. adorable, and they're so sweet and yeah. cute. Well, what about Seder, then? Change it to Seder. Um, Seder is going to be even more complicated in terms of, I feel like that's even a third level down of recogni word recognition, but also Seder. People, people recognize the word Pan who don't recognize the word Seder? Well, Pan is, the, is a Greek god, and Greek gods are still taught. Yeah, but they're taught in Greek mythology where there's satyrs and centaurs and the minotaurs but, and stuff. But also here, so there's two parts where I was going here. First off, satyrs are complicated in terms of word recognition, but also because a satyr was a creature 
of drinking and wine and crazy partiness. But fawn and satyr are essentially homonyms that are, are essentially are essentially mean exactly the same. Uh, you and I know this, but I don't think the common man does. The other thing that calling it pan does is it makes that creature right into us, a, common man. Tell us what you know about satyrs. Um, <laughs> I don't think any common men. No, Ryan. <laughs> Ryan, what do you know about satyrs? No, none of, the, none of these. No, nobody listening to our podcast is common in terms of their because they're geeks. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is that pan being a god, even just a minor god, gives more weight and heft to the character. Sure, yes it does. But that's what more I'm saying, power. is a weight and heft to the character that Del Toro did not originally give it. He, In his language, when he made the film, he called it the fawn. And then it got translated into English as pan. That's what I'm saying. That's what's weird mm. to me. Um, Del Toro's choice but was his, fawn. Yes, I can agree with your point, but he is godlike in no, his role he, in the film. he certainly is. It's just he's, interesting He's to the me. central power figure. Now, of course he is, yes, obviously. But uh, it's just interesting to me that there's this there's this translation thing that, uh, because I don't know, I don't, I don't know that I that I agree with you that people know what Pan is, because Pan is also a wild character. Pan is also uh Yeah, Pan, but Pan implies, with the words like panic and stuff, Pan implies, by the fact that he's a god, gods are capricious, but gods can also be a force for good. Sure. Um, but yeah. a satyr, a satyr is, that's that's just a creature that might be out just for mischief. Sure, of course, yes, absolutely. But again, my point is, that's what he called it at first, and then they changed it into Pan. No, he for called America. it Fawn. Fawn. And fawns Same are not going to work thing. because fawns are just too adorable. <laughs> he called it. He called it. He called it because fawn is fawn is Latin for satyr. Exactly the same thing. F a u. Yeah, but we're talking about American usage. We're going to talk about this for forty five minutes. Also, but also, I think Pan's Labyrinth starts with the plosive and it automatically makes a better title in English. In English, fair enough. Okay. There we go. It starts with a plosive. <laughs> Melis, Melis, I'm going to start everything with a plosive. And I don't it's, know it's what a plosive is. It, and it, because it, of that, I'm not going to argue. And so Melissa has won. That's what's just <laughs> happened. I think you do know what a plosive is. <laughs> hey, so Teddy is learning to write. Mm-hmm. And I've been posting on my Facebook. I'm fascinated with the process that she, as she sounds things out, she spells dragon with a J. J. Oh! And when you say it out loud, say dragon. Dragon, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And it's not the sound. It's when you say it and you feel it. You're dragon. like, dragon. Yeah, dragon. Dragon. Hmm. That does make sense. Yeah. And so I was looking at this word going, what the hell is that? And then Dra- I said it out loud and went, oh, yeah, sounding it out is really kind of fucked up. Why do we tell kids to do that? <laughs> I still, like, use a lot of those things that you learned as kids. Like, I can't spell uh, together without thinking to get her. Because someone Ooh. like told that to me, and I can't spell fascinating unless I say it as Popeye. <laughs> fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. Yeah, mm. I learned precipitation when I had to learn it as a spelling word one week. I turned it into like a cheer. P r e c i p i t a t i o n. Oh, that's awesome! That works. P r e c i p i t a t i o n. I need something like that for license. That one still messes me up because the C and the S is never where I expect it to be. Um, they're mm-hmm. alphabetical. Oh, that works. Oh. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Good. Also, I think of it as being very British. Hi, we're not going to use the right letter. <laughs> I, Wait, it, what did I miss? Remind me. I need There's to no show missing. these guys the Dead Alive remake I made with finger puppets. <laughs> 
You did see that, right? I did. See okay, that. okay. These guys. These guys. These guys. These guys. These guys. It's short. Wait, we also need to show them Croti robots eyeballs on fire. Yes. Okay. Eyeballs. Oh. Oh. Ah. Shit. I can write this shit down. And then we have to see the weird dance thing. Oh I, yeah. With oh the, yes. I. Okay. I. I is on fire. Or whatever that is. <laughs> On there are gestures fire. happening, people. So dead, many gestures. Dead alive. Finger puppets. Melissa's writing. Squeak squeaka. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. <laughs> and then um puppets. dancing puppets. <laughs> And like then Steve dance, dance weird, dance weird, dance weird. weird. <laughs> That's not how you spell weird. It is now. It is now. <laughs> it's got a couple extra e's in there. Careful though. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah I'm and thumping. Sorry, it's just my toes want to rub on your trunk. <laughs> oh, that's an odd statement. Good God, what? we're we're like a block from the fire department. Oh the, yeah, the well, I, you know, in our podcast we have a cockatiel. Oh yeah, and then sometimes we have drunk neighbors. Ooh, <laughs> that's exciting. One night I went out to yell at people, and it was duck. <laughs> duck Washington, and I think they were like filming a video preview for a Fringe Festival show, and I was like, oh, sorry, didn't mean to yell at you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, at 9 o'clock uh, around here, there's an air raid siren. Because it's curfew. <gasps> I know. Oh, am I in this part of Minneapolis? Yeah, you're in Robbinsdale. You're in the police state. Oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't know you guys had a... See, I, I live in south Minneapolis where, you know, uptown. It laughs at your curfew. <laughs> no, we get, the, we get the air raid siren. And the air raid siren is like two blocks that way, so it's kind of loud. That's... That's that's banana. Know, that's just that's banana pants. And you know, for all the years I lived in Robbinsdale, which is total over ten years, because I first lived over there and then I lived over there, and now I'm over in Crystal, just beyond the border. Um, I've gotten so used to it, I don't hear it anymore. Oh, and then when I have people over, they go, <laughs> you know, when it goes off, and I go, oh, oh yeah, that's right, that's not normal. <laughs> how long has it? How, how long has the siren been going off? Um, no, it, it goes off 9 o'clock every night. No, but I mean, how long has that policy been in place? Oh, for as long as I can remember. Get the like, heck since out. I was a kid. Really? Yeah. Oh, crazy North Minneapolis people. Yeah, I know. What's with the cops, man? Yeah, something something's going down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Extra patrolmen out tonight because Tuesdays are the night when Wendy and Melissa record. Oh, and yeah. when you press the button, it sings the song. I saw that earlier, and I pressed the button and started singing at me. I'm like, oh, shit. I had well, to turn it off real fast. It's right over here. I mean, it's it's kind of awesome, and Teddy thinks it's the bee's knees. I find it kind of terrifying. Right. But, yeah, it's, but, I mean, wow. It's, it's a snow globe, so first off, you can swirl the snow so that Elsa is in her little snow. Oh, oh jeez. <laughs> Don't break my it's... daughter's toy. Jeez. What a jerk. Does it play the whole thing? I don't know. I've not had the patience. <laughs> Let it go. And slam the door. Apparently that's all it plays. 
<laughs> it's not a good key for me. Okay. Everybody ready to take a drink? <laughs> Yay! Yay! Rob is double fisting this. it. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> he brings his own, baby. Oh! oh! That was nice. In, that was impressive. Yeah, this. I love that sound. Ooh, cougar pork. Woo! A true story when I finally performed in Godspell. And the young man who played Jesus would be up on the cross during the crucifixion scene. After At the opening night party, I told him all kinds of really inappropriate Jesus jokes. Oh, God. And then also saying, always look on the bright side of life to him. And he was so young. And it meant that from thereafter, he would never look remotely in my direction during that scene. Because he knew if he looked at me, he'd start laughing. Because I had told him so many inappropriate Jesus crucifixion jokes. Specifically, Jesus crucifixion jokes. Because I actually know more than one. I'm sure you do, Wendy. I went to a Catholic college. Running up to one of my nuns, she taught me piano. One Easter, one one Good Friday, I'm like, sister, sister, what? They canceled Easter. What? They found the body. <laughs> and sister Delisha, I was like, ah, go away. <laughs> oh. Sister Nelissa was the shit. She was awesome. I loved her to death. She was a sassy ass nun. She was the best. Also, they on on good on um on Wednesday on Ash Wednesday and they would get the ashes on their forehead and there are all these tiny old nuns, like frail old nuns and they all look like they have bruises on their foreheads yeah. walking around. You got a little schmutz. And that's what I did to sister. I walked up to her and I licked my thumb like I was going to mark it up. I'm like, oh, you got a little something on your forehead there, sister. She's like, Stop. what is it with you? <laughs> <laughs> I, yes, I tortured nuns in my college years. <laughs> I like yeah. the idea that there might be catacombs beneath. Our pleasure dome. Oh, yes. Much like the cask of Amontillado. Yes. And they're lined with the skulls of my enemies. With Of your enemies and lime. And, yes. And bricked up alcoves of yes. people who have pissed me off as well. Oh, yes. 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 I think we can all agree that Wendy would be a cask of Amontillado sort of person. I think so. Yeah. And I'm more like the line the halls with the skulls sort of person. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think it's important that we know which kind of serial killer yeah. we would be. Yeah, I'm more of the volume, and you're more of the quality. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yep, yep, yep. But, like but now I'm disturbed that you're dissing the mist. It's soul-destroying. I'm not dissing it, I'm saying it's super mm-hmm. effective. Yeah, that's true. It is way too effective. That's the kind of movie that I watch once, and I applaud how brilliant it is, but I'm not willing to ever just roll my soul out like a like cookies to be cut. <laughs> sad, sad, sad cookies. Cookies of despair. There is no there's no frosting on those cookies. They are cookies of despair. Meanwhile, my view on sex currently is a little warped because I watched Antichrist a couple days ago. Oh god. Oh I god. I don't I've never watched it and even I know that's oh, fucked up. It's... 
I don't know that one. It's Lars Van Trier. Oh, it's Lens, oh. Lars Van Trier with Willem Dafoe and Charlotte Rampling? Ginsburg. Oh, Ginsburg. Willem Dafoe and, is a, and two a very, very brave performances. Okay. But, whew. Yeah, all I, I have never watched it. I've never even read so much about it. What I have mostly read is, wow, that's a film that'll fuck you up. Yeah. And I I have heard about the most fucked up sequences in the movie in detail because I think people were trying to say, no, don't watch it. Here's what you need to know about it. Oh, it's like goatsy. Uh, yeah, kind of. And um, actually, it's very beautifully filmed and I think it is worth watching if you can endure it. But holy shit, the brutal stuff is yeah, really brutal. Yeah, see, and it's all sexual. I'm getting really tired of sexual violence as a shortcut to meaning. Well, I understand Lars von Trier. While I have misgivings with him as a director, mm-hmm. a lot of times, at least I think. While I don't agree with him, has a valid expression. He's trying to say something more than just. And and he has a lot to say. He has a lot to fucking say. Um, it doesn't make it any easier to watch it. Because, it doesn't. Because it doesn't. the problem is that while you may be using it in a way that is at least interesting, Lars, and I appreciate yeah. that, I have nonetheless have to wade through it interminably. But but in yeah, but the, but the point of something like Antichrist is not to enjoy it. And it's it, it's art that challenges you, not art that you find enjoyment in. Which, at least when it's something that brutal, I can kind of appreciate because it's a lot of times in movies when you see sexual violence or just violence in general, it's too... Get the blood pumping. It's get to get the blood yeah. pumping. It's it's you get an enjoyment out of. It. It's violence porn or you know whatever. It's it's some sort of excitement that comes from it. And at least with Antichrist, it's like oh no, oh. No. Yeah, no, no, I don't think I can do that. Movie. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't need that. I don't, I, don't, I don't recommend people watch it unless they watch movies like I do. And very I, few people watch movies like I do. I I am firmly in the camp of. Movies are supposed to be entertainment. Right. And I will go a long way towards entertainment because you can be entertained by being challenged. You can be entertained by being forced to think about something in a different way Mm -hmm. or being forced to feel sad or other deep emotions. But if I don't fundamentally feel entertained, there's a part of me that's like, I don't know why I'm watching this. Well, yeah. And and part of the reason I watch Antichrist is because the year before I started going to Fantastic Fest, Antichrist premiered at at Fantastic Fest. Ah. And there are a bunch of memes that cropped up from this shared experience of audiences watching Antichrist at Fantastic Fest. Most notably, there is a point in the movie where a fox, like the animal, a fox, just a random forest animal comes up and says, Chaos reigns! In this deep voice... For no reason whatsoever. It's not established that animals talk in this movie whatsoever. 
and they don't talk again in the movie whatsoever. It's just a random moment where a fox looks up at Willem Dafoe and goes, Chaos reigns! Oh, shit. <laughs> and, and everybody in the audience went... <laughs> now that's great radio. And, and, and it has stuck as a slogan of Fantastic Fest ever since. So I felt like I needed to at least Could watch it. Could you make it. that face again? Okay, got it. I- I'm reading about this now on Wikipedia. Acorns pelt the cabin like rapid gunfire. Yeah. <gasps> oh, God. This isn't even the sexual part, and I couldn't take that. Ew. Yeah. The ticks? Yeah. Ew. And, and that's just a moment. That's just a moment in the movie. Oh, here's the fox. Yeah. Chaos Rings. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, he's it's, also eating his own entrails, I was going to say, by it's a self-disemboweling fox. Yes, it is. But he just, like, looks up, Chaos Rings, and then fade out. Not just, like, cut to something that's relevant. It's a like, Chaos Rings, fade out. <laughs> it's the most bizarre thing. Okay, Nymphomaniac... As one big long five and a half hour cut, which is what I saw. Five and five and a half hours long of Lars von where, Trier. Where, where, oh, that whoa. was it. That was one of the last things I watched at Fantastic Fest. They had the director's cut of Nymphomaniac. People sat there for five and a half hours. Jerry and I sat there for five and a half hours and watched Nymphomaniac. There, when we finished, there were three empty buckets of popcorn and twelve empty bottles of beer. <laughs> There are was, photos. Was there anybody else in the theater? Yeah, there were like three other people. <laughs> because it went over like two other movie slots. Yeah, of course. So, Why would you want to lose two movie slots? Well, it was the last day and the other things in the movie slots were like, well, eh. Or I could actually see Nymphomaniac. Uh, Five and a half hours of it. Did they pause it so you could pee at some point? They, No. They did not, but it they did include the credits between the part one and part two, so you could conceivably go run and come back. Okay. But it, it was unbroken, essentially. But, yeah, it's a very interesting movie. Huh. I will say that it did keep me engaged for five and a half hours, which is really saying something. That's amazing. I, I am used to long movies, but that is an exceptionally that, long movie. That's not a, that's not a movie, that's... Yeah. That's Whoa. an experience, and um, that's fucking Che. It 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 comes. In, it's much more interesting than Che. Well, it have to be. Yeah, uh, it does have Stellan Skarsgård in it, so you know a plus. And there there are two scenes: one in the first half, one in the second half, where it just that's like perfect movie making. You know, every once in a while, there's a scene in the movie where it's like that's perfect. There are two. There's one in the first half. There's one in the second half. The first one involves Uma Thurman. She she doesn't appear anywhere else in the either of the movies or the movie, whichever. She she's a scorned wife, and she comes in and she just storms in for a scene, and she's amazing, and she's gone, and it's it's just this perfect encapsulation. Nice. And then. There's a set of scenes in the second half. They have like two or three of them. But it's Janie Bell as a, a professional sadist. Like, um... Sure, yeah. Yeah, he, a, a he's, dom, a BD, a, he's a he's a dom. Yeah. And it's an incredible set of scenes. 
Because usually when you see a, you know, like a porn film or erotica, when they involve a BDSM scene, mm-hmm. it's, it's very, it's charged and sexy and stuff. And it's, the scenes are very clinical. It's and just he's a job. Business like. And his performance is amazing. Fun. Okay. It's amazing. But that's still five and a half hours. It's still five and a half. Well, the the non director's cuts are much shorter and I haven't watched them to see what what the difference is and I don't know if I want to, but yeah. Can I I have to look at Lemon Party to get this out of my head now. <laughs> what is Lemon Party? That no, no, no. don't go near there. Okay, I won't don't go, go near, near there. there. Okay. Don't go near there. I gotta say, the after party to Human Sunday 2, which I did not see, um, was really pretty spectacular. Because the after party to Human Centipede 2, they had this lush buffet, free buffet, which included roast pig that was sewn together end to end. (laughs) Oh, Nicolas Cage. But National Treasure is a heist because um, what's fun about that is, is truly that the bad guy, Nicolas Cage, is the good guy saving the treasure from the real bad guy right that's what makes it kind of super fun also it's got riley in it and whenever (laughs) whenever i see that actor because the first time i was exposed to that actor i'm not lying was in gili oh the ben the the ben affleck j-lo oh Geely is a oh, it's terrible a terrible movie. film, and he was this autistic kid that they oh. were. What did they kidnap him? Yeah, they were. Yeah, and then they ended up like in a morgue, cutting off fingers. That was like the only worthwhile scene in the movie, aside and, from the crazy shit that happened at the end. And and the autistic kid, played by the same actor who plays Riley in National Treasure, starts singing Baby Got Back. And the ridiculousness of it caught my attention and made me fall in love with that actor. So the guy who plays Riley <laughs> in National Treasure always tickles me now. Because oh, all I can hear is, ladies, yeah, ladies, yeah, come on, ride in my Mercedes, yeah. <laughs> True fact. Oh, it God. ain't false. Oh God. <laughs> Jim J. Bullock. I love Jim J. Bullock because he was in Too Close for Comfort. He was the center square in Hollywood. Uh-huh. Squares. He was he had the Jim J and Tammy Faye show. He's also like one of the he has the record for living with AIDS. Not just HIV, but AIDS. He has really? had it for like decades. Yeah, he is one of he's on record. For being someone who has had it for this long and has survived it, has been like a success story. Just no with, shit. Yeah, yeah. Good for him. And, yeah. But but I I it just made me so happy when I saw that he was cast as Prince Valium in Spaceballs because I I have followed Jim J. Bullock for so many years. Jim the Jim J. and Tammy Faye show was one of my favorite casting choices ever to have. <laughs> Here's the thing: okay. I have like a scrapbook from college because this is before Facebook. And I actually have, I like cut out like from the TV paper, the advertisement for the Jim J and Tammy Faye show. And I pasted it in that scrapbook because I was so happy that happened for Jim J. Bullock. Oh my God. <laughs> I've never actually met him. One of my friends got hit on him at a party in Chicago, but it was like, that, that, that's the closest connection I have. But I just kind of feel like Jim J. Bullock is a cousin out there that I keep track of.
It time takes is time a beard. to grow a beard. Time is a fucking beard. Without a time montage, a you need beards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't have a montage, you need a beard. We've learned to embrace joy through <laughs> bitterness. Like through the lens of bitterness. Wow, life is shit. Good thing I like watching movies. We've got yeah. bitterosity. Yeah. 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 You weren't a phone freak? I was not a phone freak. I dated one. I didn't I had a boyfriend who put up put together his own black box to you know so he could go to pay phones and steal long distance calls. Dun dun dun. And and I went to that without a black box. You just a paperclip and you'd put it up in the See see he wanted to do this with electronics. And also I kept going, but who would you call? You don't know anybody. But he goes, it's a fact I can do it. That's the important part. And that, that was another great lesson I learned in my life. Huh. There was one time I was driving late at night and a fog rolled in and I was driving home and I swear to God, an exit came up that I had never seen before. <laughs> and I was just like, Ah, uh, this is the point where somebody stupid takes that exit and they are never heard from again, mm-hmm. and you end up in silent fucking hell. Yeah. So, mm. what? How did I get to Centralia, Pennsylvania? This is odd. <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> Why is the ground smoking? <laughs> so, I, I, I played Dungeons and Dragons since I was like eight. Because back in those days, you had to go to a place where they had video games to play it, or mm-hmm. make it yeah. on. Or combat under 2600. I had um, Minor 2049er on my Atari. Yeah. Did anybody else play no, that game? But I had the ET game, which was horrible. And oh Raiders, my god, you did? I did, and the Raiders... They, I, they, they, I beat they, the ET game. Oh. It didn't take you know, much. You know what? A couple of years ago, I got drunk and I ordered one off of eBay for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> you got ripped off. I know, I did. But, but I what probably owned... The, the ET cartridge... Oh my god! The, you know, of which there are a million of them buried in New Mexico under a slab yeah, of concrete. Yeah, that one. Yeah, I'm glad because, because I got drunk and ordered it off. Of what do you mean a million buried under con- what? So the ET game was so horrible and did so badly that legend has it they literally that they literally to took it. the rest of the stock and they buried it in New Mexico under a slab of concrete, which is true because they dug it up recently. Yeah, they like just within found the last, last year. year. Why, 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 why? Whose method of disposal is that? Atari? Bury well, it and put a slab of concrete on it? Atari or was it like Capcom or something? Well, like maybe it was Capcom, but it very nearly killed the video game industry. It was that bad of a flop. They and, spent and a lot of money making as, a as, crap game. As yeah. much as everyone looks back at that as the really bad Atari game, mm-hmm. there were worse ones. Oh, yes. Oh, the, sure. The Raiders of the Lost Ark game was worse. Yeah. And the um, the Return of the Jedi game was worse. Yeah. Oh, uh, but I totally nobody, forgot they made yeah, a nobody Return remembers of the Jedi game. Yeah, you basically you were a little Millennium Falcon at the bottom of the screen, and you had to shoot up at the Death Star as they were assembling it. <laughs> and you had to shoot pieces off of it faster than they could put pieces onto it. Oh, wow. man. It was awful. It I, was terrible. I programmed better games by myself on my Commodore VIC-20 when I was seven. In basic, probably. In basic. Yeah. yeah. Oh. With a tape drive. It was developed by Atari. Oh. I had a tape drive. I, I would steal my dad's Led Zeppelin tapes and tape over them with computer programs and Oh, get that went over well. No, it really didn't. <laughs>
And 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 I was just rem- remembering in high school playing assassin. Yep. Because um, all the all the theater boys somehow got into playing assassin in the hallways. Some uh, first role playing, you know. Yeah, you know. And I I decided I wouldn't get involved, but instead I'd go through the hallways and pick up. They were playing with the little disc guns mm-hmm. that that shot the little plastic discs. I'd go through the hallways and pick up all the discs. And so by midday, they'd all run out of ammo, and I had bags. You just like open up your. And I'd be like, like, buy some ammo. Yeah, I I had a racket. They were buying their ammo back from me. (laughs) I want to be like the white horse, like carved out of the side of a mountain through chalk, and I'd be doing jazz hands. I've got to find the washroom. The washroom. 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 Which is is a very Canadian way of saying it. Are you Canadian? No. No. You're such a jerk. You're the jerk, you jerk. You're a jerk. I'm going to judge you, you judgy jerk. Bitch about that for a long time. Did you see uh, Viggo Mortensen actually gave an interview where he said that he felt like... Felt like what? Felt like what? That Fellowship was the best of the three Lord of the Rings movies, and that he thought they got progressively worse. Because Fellowship, Peter Jackson was being forced to be economical and make good choices. Uh, and once yeah. Fellowship blew up, blew up, he didn't have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he, he, he got money. He, he was giving more yeah, leeway. Yeah, yeah. Do whatever you want, yeah. and you can really kind of see that, especially if you watch the extended editions. I will say, you know, at least the theatrical cuts are a little bit more concise. But when you watch the extended editions, there's stuff in there you're like, wow, really? I hate the extended editions. But anyway, yes. Yes, I can go on and on about about, about the goddamn Hobbit. But uh, but if Del Toro had directed, because honestly, I am bored by the Hobbit films. Yeah. I'm angered by the Hobbit films uh, myself because, real quick, sorry. Uh, (laughs) Well, this will go in the... Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, in the archive. The uh, okay, the uh, Hobbit episode. No, I have I you know my my movie collection involves a lot of movies about people flying across the room and kicking each other in the face for no reason. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm I'm perfectly fine with movies that are about senseless violence, but the Hobbit happens to be a story in which most, not all, but most problems are solved with wits or cleverness or talking of one form or the other. Whereas Peter Jackson has made some films in which you can't roll a barrel down a river without 17 stabbings. And uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I'm sick of it. But and, anyway. and if the film was just the rolling the barrel down the river with the 17 stabbings, I'd be fine with it. But that's yeah, not I, the I Hobbit. Not, well, exactly. Right. That's not the Hobbit. That's yeah. the point. Yeah. I'm going to take a brief aside to say the Hobbit did not need to be three movies. Yeah, fuck that noise. Now, I would have supported two, because while it is a trim little book, it is action-packed. Yeah. And if you're going to get all those action set pieces in there, that probably would have taken some time. And I fully support the idea of adding in some White Council stuff to tie it together. So that so two movies made total sense. Three, no. Three does not. And it's turgid. Yeah. I'm not enjoying the Hobbit movies at all. I I had... Except for, you know, the comedy I've drawn out of them. I had my mom buy it for me for Christmas last year because I'm a Tolkien nerd and I'm a completist and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, and I want the extended edition because I want all of the extras and all mm-hmm. all this stuff. And I sat down to watch the film and I still haven't finished it. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's really bad. Oh, Peter. 
you did so good with what is a harder story. Mm-hmm. The Hobbit should have been a no fucking brainer. It's just a pure adventure flick. And 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 the, and the thing is, is if Peter Jackson really excels at adventure, but he 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 currently has the George Lucas problem. Nobody is he telling has, him no. He has George Lucas disease. He has more money than God, and he can do whatever he wants, which is a problem because, because he he works best when he's reined in. He, I mean, he was doing some of his best work when he had zero budget at all, and he was making special effects Philip in his mother's oven. We're Philip and Fran. I expected more from the women in his life. Mm-hmm. And also, it offends the fuck out of me what he did to Radagast. <laughs> I am bothered by what they did to Gimli in Lord of the Rings, but mm-hmm. I accept it as I understand what they were going for, and it's three movies, and you wanted some sort of way to add a little bit of humor. Mm -hmm. And there's a natural sort of humor there in playing up the differences between the elf and the dwarf. So it sort of naturally came out. And God knows that John Rhys-Davies is so jocular that he just does a great job with it. But Radagast was actually one of my favorite minor characters Mm -hmm. in the Lord of the, in the whole Middle Earth pantheon because he seemed so quietly noble because here was someone who was a wizard who had all this power and just completely discounted by Sauron because all he does is go off and, and talk to the animals and care and care for nature, which was of course what Tolkien's point was, which is those who are in power dismiss nature Mm -hmm. and, pay it no heed and so here's this and when he shows up he's kind of quiet he's kind of awkward but he has really important information to give to Gandalf about what he knows from talking to the animals and from being in the forest and he's he always seemed like such a a very quiet interesting character and now he's got a bird that lives on his head pooping down his hair really and he's crazy pants Mm-hmm. And he's crazy pants. And I'm like, Sylvester McCoy could have, he would have been great at the Radagast in my head. Mm-hmm. And there's, you could have kept some of that. And why does he have to have a bird shitting on his head? <laughs> it really bothers me. <laughs> I do like the relationship between Galadriel and Gandalf that you get, though. Yeah, that's interesting stuff. That's good. And to see the power, manip- which is why I wanted the White Council stuff, the power mm-hmm. manipulations between Gandalf and Sauron and Elrond and Galadriel, because, yeah, there's a there's a lot going on behind the scenes that eventually got discovered when Tolkien decided to eventually write it after the fact. <laughs> um, dun, dun, dun. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, include that. That's some interesting shit that could really add something. And all of the necromancer stuff that makes total sense. Because there is a point when you're reading The Hobbit and you pay attention, you're like, where the fuck did Gandalf go? <laughs> he just kind of vanishes. He's like, yeah, I got something better to do. I'll catch up with you. <laughs> go fight a dragon. What? <laughs> I'm busy. Have you ever read Board of the Rings? I tried once, but oh. it's such it was such a heavy-handed parody. Yeah, that's true. That I'm like, th- th- this isn't actually funny. I read it. Like six months ago, <laughs> which is which is interesting because I I mean, Board of the Rings is a National Lampoon parody that was written in the late sixties. Yes, and reading it now with the movie trilogy behind us, 
is really freaking interesting. Fuck you, Tom Bombadil. <laughs> Wait, what was the weird no. show where it was a f- sort of a screenshot and then they were just moving mouths? Clutch Cargo. That Clutch was cargo. so fucking disturbing, man. Yeah. What the hell? Even as a kid, I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> Oh, Uncanny Valley. And and I was a, I mean, I was a kid in the seventies. There was a lot that was fucked up on TV that you just, you just consumed it without thinking twice. Mm-hmm. And even then, I'm like, mm, no. You know, one of the things that I kind of lament about Ocean's Twelve versus uh, Ocean's Eleven is it had Catherine Zeta Jones, who I like a lot more than Julia Roberts yeah. as the the amazing woman sort of role. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if I have any beef about Ocean's Eleven, it's that the Julia Roberts character is supposed to be this beautiful, sweeping in, magnificent, feminine woman. And Julia Roberts isn't no real graceful. And No, she's not. What you she's, want? She's a hell of an actress. She, but I feel like she was a little miscast. I now, if, if it like, was Catherine Zeta-Jones in that role, it's like, oh, yeah. I could see that. Yeah, you need that palpable aura of <sighs> charisma. I don't know, charisma, sexiness, mystique. Something. Well, well, yeah, Julie Roberts has charisma. I mean, you see yeah. it all over Aaron Brockovich, which but, I love. I love Aaron Brockovich. But I, I, or think, like, I think Julie Roberts has a certain clumsiness to her. I mean, clumsiness is kind of a brusque way to put no, it. But... She really, she really does not move. Well, yeah. you know who would have been great? Michelle Pfeiffer at the height of her powers. Ooh, she'd be good. Yeah. Or just yeah. that 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 untouchable quality, right? And mm-hmm. and Catherine Zeta Jones does have it too. Oh yeah. But it hers is a more earthy quality. Yeah. Whereas Michelle Pfeiffer, when she was like young and just bursting on the scene, it was ethereal. It was yeah. just like, ah, uh, oh my god, I can't handle how just beautiful you are Mm -hmm. right gorgeous implies a certain hotness and michelle pfeiffer was just classically beautiful but i but i think the what the julia roberts role in ocean's 11 needed more it it wasn't just the beautiful it was also the charisma the class and and the The class. class class yes very much class and and julia roberts is more She's well, middle class. Yeah. She's not lower class because no. I don't buy her when, like, I didn't buy her when she tried to play a hooker. Yeah, she's not right for that. Yeah, but, but she does. She does. She was great in Aaron Brockovich. She doesn't smell like money. No, no, no not she, not on the screen anyway. So when I first saw Ocean's Eleven, I went with my mother. <laughs> as as Wendy spits her wine out her nose, I went with my mother. It was Christmas time. And we were having our annual go out shopping thing, which usually means we get together, we have lunch, we drink too much, we drink too much, we have a movie, and we don't shop at all. Yes, that's what we do. And that particular year, we went to see Ocean's Eleven. While you were slightly soft. Oh, we had split a bottle of wine, and we were happy. And so we we went to see Ocean's Eleven, and. And there's this one scene where the elevator opens and reveals like Clooney and Brad Pitt and I think it was Matt Damon. And the two of us went, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Both of us in unison. I was like, 
Oh, yeah. yeah. That's like a buffet. <laughs> Seriously. And then a feast for the eyes. And the, yeah. the, the line I remember so well is towards the end of the film, there uh, Andy Garcia is going back in the elevator after he's been bested. You know, he, he hits the button and he's waiting for the elevator. And so the camera just stays on Garcia for a while. And mom just goes, he'd be so good, but so bad for me. <laughs> I'm going to get some ice. Oh, yes, you but should. But yeah, we, 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 I want to make sure we definitely talk about 12 chairs. Yes, that that's a great I idea. I don't know that one. It's My a, mom had his like first a one, crush on Frank Langella, and so we had to watch. Frank Langella was hot. He's at, It's hot Frank Langella in 12 chairs. When he was Dracula, that was sex. My mom, oh my God, that was like her porn. Well, like, it was porny. There was very little of merit in that film when you yeah, watch it yeah. from an artistic viewpoint, except for... She would, like, rewind and watch Franklin Jell whipping off his cape, and oh, God. Well, <laughs> yeah. He was a hottie when he was younger. He was, and he... Those lips. <laughs> yes, the hair. Very blow-dried and quaffed. Oh, yeah. So quaffed. I would run my fingers through it, and it would get stuck in that hairspray, and I would not mind. At all. Hello? Except, let's be honest, I'd need a step stool. Fried Green Tomatoes is pretty entertaining. (laughs) It's pretty lesbian, but it's pretty entertaining. Not Wait, that came out wrong. That made it sound like I don't (laughs) like lesbian films. I totally like lesbian films. Well, I I just can't win. Let's just edit this out. You know what? We should talk about movies that just gave us that sort of sexual rush sometime. (laughs) Tombstone. Oh, man, really? Val Kilmer. Oh, yeah, true. Val Kilmer in that movie, when mm. he rides that horse, he rides that <laughs> horse. Oh, oh, oh. There's just sort of a la 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 what? Hi. <laughs> what are your hips doing? I want to know. <laughs> I'll be your Huckleberry. No, I will be yours, Mr. Kilmer. Wow. I've got a Comcast business account. I get amazing download speeds. I don't need a person if that's all I want. I'm sorry. I have masturbated and I have sex, and sex is better than masturbation. I mm, Most sex is better than masturbation. I would say most masturbation is better than sex. Oh, you are doing it wrong. Mm. Maybe I'm not. What? The scientist over here is saying, we need data. <laughs> I'm looking up images. My Google search term is Harry Houdini in chains. Oh. Oh. Hello, Harry. Hot damn. What about... Wait, wait, wait. What about... (gasps) No, there we go. That's the Harry Houdini. Yeah. Harry Houdini. Yeah. Do you see why he was so popular? I mean, when you read about his magic, it would be boring by today's standards. I want to zoom in. Why isn't my phone letting me? I lost my virginity to a magician. Oh, my God. Hi. Yeah, hello, Harry. He's got some thighs. He's got some thighs. He's got some shoulders. He's got Also, I like the way he's handcuffed. (laughs) I know. It's like Harry Houdini has everything. He's he's very well equipped, and he's into bondage. Yeah, who... And he can wear a suit. Look at that. There he is Yeah, look at that. He looks nice. Uh, Let's start you off in a suit. Let's chain you up. Let's maybe take that suit off. Let's let's see what happens oh, with this writing crowd. Look at that face. He was attractive. Ooh, he huh? was. He was really attractive. He was brooding and dark. He was a magician. Slide a hand. Slide a <laughs> hand. Where's your hands? Let me hand tell you. Check. Let me tell you. 
magicians know their fingers. <laughs> <laughs> they have to have very dexterous fingers because of all that coin work. And, you know, there's also the sponge ball technique. I feel like this is nothing but euphemisms. <laughs> all the way down. Shit. Nothing but euphemisms. You know, all, all the, the people down. out there, it's like, you know, like, every now and then you'll see in, like, comedy, it's like, oh, I'm dating magician, and that's supposed to be derogatory. Dude, any magician that knows hand magic, you want to get in on that shit. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Oh, I feel so, like I missed an opportunity. So you're, you're saying I should have um, gotten laid a whole lot more at the... Um, Las Vegas convention I went to with all the magicians. Well, now let's 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 be clear. Are they illusionists or are they doing the hand magic? Oh, are there was doing, a whole buffet. Okay, are they, so are they doing close magic? Because I mean, close magic is what you want. You want to get yeah. close with that magic. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they're gonna have misdirection. They're mm-hmm. gonna coins are be gonna come out from nowhere. <laughs> I feel like we're we've crossed over into Mario Land. Yeah. So here, here's a, I, I, so I wouldn't recommend the whole Chris Angel type because that's gonna. Be, oh no 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 no! That's gonna be all mm-hmm. hype and no mm-hmm. orgasm. So like your average street magician that is showing you maybe some cup and ball. <laughs> Manipulate a coin over their knuckles. <laughs> now you're into territory. You, now you're into that's worth buying a drink over. Okay. Yeah. Because, okay. yeah. Finger magic is where it's at. That's all I'm saying. I had a one night stand with an actor in New York who was a pilot in one of the airplane disaster movies. Wow. You've had quite the storied career. <laughs> this was in college. Oh, is this college? Sex doesn't count in college. <laughs> it's true, though, it doesn't. I did not know that. Let's see. Did you know that? I did not. Oh my god, we learned something. Oh, there was a fire fight! fight! You know, that's... No, it's not really a heist. No, it's not a heist. It's just... That's just crime. That's just crime and it's super entertaining. It's a mess. Boondock Saints is a hot, hot, hot mess. It's a hot mess you will fall in love with at the same time. You're like, what the hell? So, Painting Game was made a couple of years ago by Michael Bay. Painting Game is based on a true story, which is this utterly bizarre crime that happened in Florida that involved a bunch of people who were employed by a gym, you know, who were like personal trainers and stuff, who decided to go through this whole kidnapping scheme to extort money. And there were murders that happened and all that fun stuff. These people were it not was, bright. It, they were not bright. And it was a very bizarre case. It was the first time in U.S. history that breast implants, the serial numbers on breast implants, had been used to identify a murder victim. It's based on a true story? It is a true story. Okay. And I knew something about the story before the movie was made. And when I saw the trailer for the movie... And I went, oh my god, it's this story, and Michael Bay is making it. I went, this is going to either be the most horrible thing ever, or it's going to be the best thing ever. And the trailer was great, so I was very hopeful. In Michael Bay's defense, he knows how to do the action movie formula. Michael Bay is the best goddamn second unit director of all time. It's true. 
He know he knows better than anybody how to shoot an explosion, a car a, chase, an yeah. action sequence. He, Not just he, that, but get your heart rate up. Yes, and ah. then give you a cool down. Yeah, and then right when you think you're relaxed. No, you're not. He's getting yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, there. seriously, yeah. the, he's, he's the expert orgasm master. Yeah, the the man is amazing. I'm say the stress master, but well, no, that that I mean, he, what he's doing is he's he's playing with you, right? Yeah. I've only seen a few of his films, and they were it's all the stress per- for me. It's mm. the perfect blowjob, right? Get you right to the edge. <laughs> Tease you a little bit. And then break it back. No, no, calm down, calm down. Okay, now we're going to go And then up, and then up. And he knows how... He's an enormously technical director. He's actually kind of a director's director in that other directors watch his work and go, how did he do that? He can totally go off the rails. I will completely admit that. But Pain and Gain is a property where I went... I want to see Michael Bay do that because Pain and Gain, that story plays into the American dream and is a subversion of the American dream. Oh, yeah. And nobody knows how to do a subversion of the American dream better than Michael Bay. Because a subversion of the American whether dream or, involves explosions. Whether or not it's conscious or not. <laughs> and it's brilliant in its own it's way. It's got the rock and it's got... Oh. Marky Mark and yeah, and yeah. it's got oh 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 oh, and it's got Monk and it's got Tony Shalhoub. Tony Shalhoub. <laughs> Tony Shalhoub. But no, The Rock. The Rock is playing this character. He's one of the criminals. He he's this this bodybuilder addict. He's a recovering addict, he's recovering con. No no no. Except in Doom. It, it, give me a moment. Give me a moment. He's he, totally no no. He's right. He's right. But. The Rock is playing this recovering addict, recovering con, who is a bodybuilder, and he gets kind of swept up into this kidnapping ring. But he's, at this point, he's like a born-again Christian, and he's got that wide-eyed, I I believe everything is good in the world, and yet he's being swept along in this crime ring. And and when they finally get the payoff, he's the first one to swan-dive into the pile of cocaine. And... Love every minute of it, and he is so good at that role. There, oh, there yeah. is there is something delightful about The Rock playing that role. He's so wide. He's so sweet, and then he just dives into the cocaine and is so exuberantly high. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Watching The Rock is like thirty percent of the enjoyment of and the entire movie. Mark. Wahlberg does muscle-bound dumb better than anybody. Right. I, I love I him. I usually see him playing muscle-bound dumb nice guy. Yeah. yeah. No, he's not a nice guy in this movie. He's too dumb to be nice. Yeah. It's not that he's evil. He's just... He's driven. Yeah. The, the, he, this is a movie about American ambition that, that, that I deserve the lawnmower and the perfect lawn. And Michael Bay is kind of the perfect director for the movie. Absolutely. It's amazing. Gotta get into Top Gun. This is why Can't Buy Me Love is the superior nerds make good movie. Because it was was the same moral as Revenge of the Nerds with a stronger storytelling style and not rapey. I agree. Nicely done. She wants to toast toast with you. You know, I the, the one thing that like I look back on, I, I don't, I don't have the best relationship with my dad now. 
Uh, well, actually, I do. I don't talk to him anymore. But, like, his favorite movie when I was growing up was Overboard. Oh, my God. Oh. Oh. I, I like that movie. He watched it all the time. And I remember even as a teenager, it's like, this is really fucked up. That's your favorite movie. I mean, I like it, but it's wrong. It's twisted. <laughs> it Hi, is... I'm going to abduct you and, and make you... You make they... you think these are your kids. Because I just want to get back at you, and so you're going to be my live-in slave, basically, and I'm yeah. just going to torture you. Oh, but then we'll fall in love. Yeah, it's wrong, but it's Goldie Hawn, and it's Kurt Russell, and so you they're so fucking charming it together. It is, but just like watching that, it's just like, oh, ooh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's real problem. Yeah, we should have brought that one up with problem. Oh, I'm, I'm sure we could have a sequel. No. 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 When I was living on Morgan in North, <laughs> in North, there was the night that I woke up because the bass, like subliminally, just shook me awake mm-hmm. from the house next door. And like, why, why am I awake at two in the morning? What the, what am I, ah, hearing? Yeah. Ah, now I'm annoyed. I know. And so I My went, kidneys are shaking. Yeah. And it was summer, so I could go outside without it being any big deal. So I, I threw on my nightgown, and I go over to the house next door, and I'm pounding on the door. No response. And I go to the other door, and I pound on the door. No response. And I'm like, I can't sleep with this. I, ah. So I call the police. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I live at this house, the house next door, the music, so loud, so, and the, ah, and it's fucking in excess, are you shitting me? Oh, shitting me. Oh. And so, it's two in the morning, and um, I was either unemployed or I was a teacher on break, I don't remember, but it it was like, it was no big deal. I know we had Teddy, so I know I was like, I have to deal with my daughter at some point, so I do want my sleep, you fuckers. So I decided to just wait up for the cops to come, and they showed up, like, on foot, like they wandered down from the block, like they <laughs> parked a block away and just took, went for a walk. And I'm sitting on the front porch, because what else do I have to do? I'm sitting on the front stoop, and I'm, like, reading the paper at 2 in the morning. And they walk up, and I'm like, hey, how's it going? They're like, you're the one who called? I'm like, yeah. And you can hear the, and I'm like, yeah, it would be that house. And they're like, okay. And I'm like, yeah, I knocked on the door, no response. I knocked on the other door, no response. I just want them to turn it down because I can't sleep through that. And they're like, yeah, yeah, it's totally cool. And so they go away. And I'm reading the paper and I'm reading the paper for a good long while. And then finally, boom, music cuts out. Ha. <sighs> oh, thank God. And I decide, I'm going to wait. I'm kind of, kind of curious. By this point, it's almost three in the morning. I'm kind of curious what's going on over there. Cops come out, and I'm like, so, uh, what's going on? And I don't remember how it played out, but they did inform me they had to break into his house. (laughs) They broke in through a window that was open. They pushed the screen door in because they could get no response at the door. Went in and found him passed out in front of his stereo. Wow. Oh, man. Turned off the stereo wrote a ticket and left it on his oh. chest <laughs> and left out the door. And all I could think is, what must that be like to wake up in the morning for like, oh my God, was, what the fuck? Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, that's gotta suck. <laughs> but they asked for it, man. Yeah. They get in excess of all things. Yeah. Chris and I sat down. We're like, we want to watch a movie. Nothing too heavy. Um, blah 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 and then um, 
the station agent was on my queue from years and years ago. And I'm like, hey, this has Peter Dinklage and it's supposed to be quirky and fun. And so we watched it. And as I'm listening to the music, I'm like, this is really good music. This is a really, because the soundtrack is very integral. And then, of course, in the closing credits, Stephen Trask. And I'm like, well, <laughs> there you go. Okay, yeah. okay. They, there was something really great around. Uh, okay, when The Ring first came out on DVD, I bought it right away. And there was something really, really great about how they they program the menu screens on the DVD. Because if you go into the special features, you could play just the Ring video, the the oh, one yeah. that they watched in the movie. And if you watched it at the end of the video, it bring up a replica of the menu screen and if you let it sit long enough you'd hear a phone ringing ah! <laughs> ah! <laughs> oh my god ah! <laughs> my story of the the ring dvd was when it came out on video on dvd and i was walking through best buy and i'm like and i was like la 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 just sort of you know browsing shopping i'm like oh, the ring and i picked it up immediately I'm like because this was such a good horror movie because it is very rare that a horror movie truly scares me. Oh, yeah. And I was like, this fucking scared the shit out of me. That's a great horror movie. And I grabbed it off the shelf and I held it and I went, this fucking scared me. Why would I want to own it? And I put it back. <laughs> oh, my God. I have spent so much money on the Criterion Collection today. They had a flash sale. And yeah, I I got my own copy of Housie. Finally, Blu-ray. Oh, my God. Housie. I've got We'll, we'll invite everybody to come watch it when we watch it. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my and god. you guys oh called god. me a nerd earlier. Oh my god. Oh my god. Well, yeah, because you are. That, that, that just meant you were a good are. company. So, okay. Melissa is offering as we speak. Melissa oh. never pees. I'm like a camel, only with my bladder. Seriously. At least once per night, I pee, but Melissa never does. I, I'm like on a larger scale than you. Well, well, you know, you've got different scales of trains. There's like O and H and... Wait, are we Thomas the Tank Engineering? I I think I run on a different set of rails than you do. (laughs) You're N and she's O27. Wow. Is that better? The the euphemisms coming out of that bottle of wine right now are just... (laughs) Or I'm a human and you're a robot. How about that? Yeah, that may be true. Because I've been sleep deprived for like 48 hours and I know that (laughs) crazy feeling where you have that sort of time lag where you're trying to figure out what's going on around you. What? I once did not sleep for eight days. Oh, sweet Jesus. I was was like eight or nine and uh, (laughs) the hallucinations are pretty extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, the most I did was like two, three days of maybe an hour of sleep and what I remember is... There was a lunar eclipse at mm. the end of that time, and I was outdoors, and the moon looked like it was melting. <laughs> and I was, because I was so sleep deprived and hallucinating that I'm like, what the fuck is with the moon? That can't be real. I need some sleep. Holy shit. <laughs> I can't imagine eight days without sleep. My, yeah, oh, my brain's got to go crazy. Oh, I, I did not have normal sleep patterns when I was a kid. By a long shot. I love you, Melissa, but there's very little that's normal about you. I know. (laughs) That's why I love Ah, you. Yay. Yay. (laughs) I sleep more and I feel much healthier. (laughs) (laughs) Total aside, tangent time. Have you 
heard, I, I'm pretty sure you haven't seen it, but have you heard of the Congress? I feel like I should have. It is a, are you familiar with a movie called Waltz with Bashir? Yes, I've Anim- seen animated it. From, yeah. yeah. The same director from that, the guy who made that uh-huh. war film, animated film, directed a movie called The Congress, which I saw at Fantastic Fest, not this year, but last year, and it just came out a couple months ago. Mm. Ooh. Stars Robin Wright playing Robin Wright. Like, was in The Princess Bride Robin Wright in the movie. Huh. But it's a fiction film featuring... Robin Wright as this actress who had this one big role and now really hasn't had much. And she is hired by a Hollywood company to basically give up her entire likeness in perpetuity. And so she is body scanned to become this virtual actress. And it's this huge sci-fi epic that goes on from there. That's fascinating and awesome. Yeah. I, I wish it was a better film. It doesn't quite pull together, but by God, it's ambitious. Well, and it's a fascinating movie. So, and it was clearly made before House of Cards because I think we can all say that Robin Robin Wright has um, crashed back onto the public consciousness. Yes, yes, because she is brilliant in House of Cards. Yeah. Oh, she's wonderful. (laughs) I love her so much. I mean, so, his picture kind of tipped me off, but I was like, okay, I don't want to be the person who's judging by appearances. Oh, no, you really are a crazy MF. <laughs> MF stands for motherfucker, and I don't know why I censored myself there. Throughout all of Cronenberg's films, you get the sense that he has this real fascination and appreciation, not just for body horror, but also just an appreciation of the human body he he kind of lavishes in the gooeyness of life not necessarily because it horrifies him but i think it also fascinates him so in a weird sort of way what we're getting is the male gaze but the male gaze on the body period not on the female body not on the sexualized female body but just on the body precisely look at the musculature the way it moves the fluidity of it the Mm -hmm. the vulnerability the softness of it i'd really like to do a whole episode on just cronenberg because he's got a very interesting insight on things because I mean, in his very early films, you kind of see that female exploitation angle because, I mean, that's kind of where you started out in the 70s, just by rote of... Uh, that, that's, that's where you started. I mean, you had stuff like, uh, was it Rabid? Where the, the, oh. the it was a woman with a parasite in her armpit that fed on human flesh. Um, <laughs> Melissa did just... I, I, I had gestures uh, to oh my go God, with the that. gestures were amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there should be a... My uh, armpit a will eat you. My armpit will eat you. Don't yeah. snuggle me. Yeah. Don't snuggle, because my armpit will eat you. The three of us in this room, all of us are connected enough that if there's someone we want to meet, we can arrange for that to happen. No, it's just How have you not met him yet? No, I was at Fantastic Fest with him. I just did not connect with him. I had that problem with Voltaire. Voltaire, the singer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in the the same town with him every two years, and we are always scheduled to be somewhere opposite each other. So I've never been able to see him. Even when he was at Convergence... Karma. I had I had a reading. It's karma. If the two of you, I had a reading. I had a reading opposite his main stage performance. It's it's karma. And I've been met. like, 
I love his songs. I'm like, I want to just go shake his hand and say thanks for doing what you do. But every time I'm in the same town, he's doing something on one end of town and I'm doing something on the other end of town. Mm-hmm. It's fucked up. No, it's, it's like Ladyhawk. <laughs> yes. I just rewatched Catching Fire last night. Stanley Tucci in a small role. Love him. Mm-hmm. I lo- I mean, seriously, I just watch his performance and I'm fascinated by the physical choices he makes. He grins so... I think he wore prosthetic <laughs> teeth so that he could really get that sharky grin of just, look at me, I'm happy! And it's just, his smile is creepy. <laughs> Stanley, whatever. Yep. Bound and the Matrix were a one-two punch of awesome where they were still young and very clear about their vision. And I don't think they've quite recaptured that clarity maybe it's a clarity of youth things well, get complicated when you get older well and it certainly got complicated for them yes it certainly did i was but leaving that aside i will i will because say i really really loved cloud atlas but it's still a bit of a mess cloud atlas is a hot mess mm. it is i i've said it before but i'll say it again i really appreciate noble failures and Cloud Atlas is a very noble failure. They were shooting for the moon, man. And they didn't quite make it, but what's there is really impressive. I still enjoyed the watching of it. It wasn't oh, like yeah. I watched it went, wow, this is interesting. I could see what you're trying to do, but I don't actually enjoy the actual experience of watching it. I enjoyed the experience of watching it. At the same time, I went, wow, not... Yeah, you kind of missed somewhere. Also, the Speed Racer movie... Still is seen really it. amazing in I its know, own right. I know you love it, but it looked like such. It is everything that it should be. Honestly, did you <laughs> have you seen Madeline Kahn's first movie, What's Up Doc? No, I haven't. She, wait, that's wait, the that's Barbara Streisand. No, no, no. It's Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neal. Oh, that yes, one. that one. That yes. one. Yes, and it is Madeline Kahn's first movie. Is it Howard? Howard Bannister, where are you? Oh my God, she's the obnoxious fiance in that. Because I, I really loved Barbara Streisand's screwball comedies. What's Up Doc is a really good movie. It's a mm-hmm. really great screwball comedy. I don't get, no matter where you fall on the Barbara Streisand spectrum, if you're someone who's just like, oh God, I'm so done with everyone talking about Barbara Streisand, you need to see this movie. This is a great movie. And this is an example of how versatile Barbara Streisand is as an entertainer. Yes. And, and And I don't care whatever thinking you have about Barbara Streisand, whether you love her, whether you dislike her, you're ambivalent about her, if you have not seen What's Up Doc, put it on your docket. Well, it's it's a great callback to the Cary Grant Hepburn yes. sort of, that screwball, just very mile screwball. a minute, just ridiculous premise, but run with it. Very screwball. And it's Madeline Kahn's first movie, and you can see some of the strong, you can see like, once Mel Brooks had her in his office, it was like, oh, shit, yeah, I'm going to use... She's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, and funny. And, and funny. Good and willing to go, yeah. And willing to do anything. And you'll edit that out so I sound more intelligent than I am. <laughs> I will. I'll more do my best. Or at the very least, more sober. <laughs> That's all I ask. You don't have to make me sound smart. Just make me sound sober. <laughs> or at least not such a hot mess. Ooh, we should talk about stop making sense. Okay, even though t- it, even though it goes kind of into documentary zone, yeah, it's it's kind of the quintessential concert movie. It is. It is. It, it it was it Jonathan Demi or Ted Demi? 
think, think it was Jonathan, Jonathan Demi. I think it's Jonathan. Who, who directed it. It is a concert film. I, I think it's the best directed concert film I've ever seen. It is so fascinating. It's almost hypnotic. And all it is is a recording of a Talking Heads concert. It, it's, uh, I mean, they filmed it across a couple different shows and a couple different nights, but it's all, you know, strung together as if it's one performance. And, I mean, part of it is a testament to how good the Talking Heads were at the height of their powers in, what, 1982? Yeah. And, and how they presented themselves, but it's also how well the movie itself is constructed it, it's like a master class in documentary filmmaking it's like we have one event to film how do we make it interesting yeah and it starts out with david byrne alone on stage making music and eventually he's joined by one other member of the band and then the next song it's one more member of the band and eventually they have all like nine of them out on stage it, it's a giant band and a very interesting band, too, especially for the 80s, because well, you had multiple yeah. women in the band. You had a really interesting array of instruments. and Well, the uh, 80s you know, were interesting musically yeah. in that you, you still had rock and roll. You had all these synthesizers, but there was this, um, there was still this core of sort of glam, epic rock that mm-hmm. was sort of still trickling through in places. Mm-hmm. Um kind of a holdover from like you know like yes and all those sort yeah. of concept bands yeah they were coming coming out of the prog rock era yeah and and definitely the talking heads kind of came out of almost an avant-garde background but they're they're so entertaining to watch and and yet they pull in all of these interesting mu- musical in- uh, influences but you know going back to the film it just becomes hypnotic to watch just because it's so well directed. The shots are put together so well. And then you get these moments where, you know, later in the film, you've got David Byrne doing a dance sequence with a floor lamp. And it and it's just wonderful. It, it's kind of magical. And, and I love it. And also one of the bonuses, if you get it on DVD, they're in the buried in the, uh, special features section is a interview with David Byrne where he interviewed himself (laughs) (laughs) and it's the most surreal thing you've ever seen in your life it's so bizarre he's an interesting person he is I wonder how many states will have same-sex marriage by the time this episode comes out well you did you hear about the I did yes it's so exciting uh-huh. The recent Supreme Court thing. That's what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. They're getting anyway. knocked down like dominoes. It's just, fuck it. It's in my lifetime. In my lifetime, my daughter is going to grow up going, what's the big deal? I don't mm-hmm. understand. She's going to watch movies where being gay was a big thing and be like, what the hell? What? <laughs> At my, okay, side note. At my house right now, me, Chris, and my mother all have a running joke now because we've watched Spider-Man 2, the amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah. Which got panned and nobody watched it and i watched it and it was really pretty decent but there's some lovely he and sally field have such great chemistry and mm-hmm. banter together 
And there's this scene where she comes into his room and he's got smut on his face because he was fighting crime as Spider-Man. What's on your face? He's like, ah, I, I was cleaning the chimney. We don't have a chimney. And his response is, what? <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, that's how we've been randomly responding to questions at my house. What? what? But yeah, written on the wind. Oh it's God. pretty bananas. It's oh, pretty. it's nuts. I was watching that. Go, holy shit! This is amazing. I know, I know, and I was like, oh wow. Well, see, if you grew up with that, I didn't see written on the wind. No, but I mean these types of films. Then some of your choices for movies you love since then make sense. Like you know, I'm gonna love Xanadu because I grew up with musicals. But you would love Xanadu simply because there's this over-the-top, sort of brightly colored, um, very, very saturated, very almost fantastical emotionally. Well, that and also Gene Kelly. Gene Kelly. Yeah. Mm. I never got Fred Astaire. I was never as much of a fan of Fred Astaire when I was a kid. I've learned to appreciate him as I've gotten older. But for me, I like a dancer who finishes his lines all the way. And and you can tell me that Fred Astaire practiced and practiced and practiced. But because he didn't have a ballet background, his line was very casual. And I much prefer a more... I, Gene Kelly finished all the way to his fingertips. Gene Kelly had an ass that wouldn't quit. Oh, Ooh, yeah. boy. <laughs> We've talked about Gene Kelly's ass yeah. many a time. Oh, jeez. American in Paris? The, I just I just remember thinking that, watching that as a tween, I realized I was an ass woman. Oh, yeah. and that's an ass to fall in love with. Oh, jeez. I, you, you could just, I want to take a roll of quarters Ping. and just bounce it off his ass. <laughs> well, and Gene Kelly knew he had a great Yes, ass. he did. And, yeah. and and I read about that later that like he, he was really into the costume design. He's like, yeah, we're going to show this. And I'm, and I'm so grateful. Yeah. Because, I mean, he always made sure there was a, I'm going to turn away, I'm going to run away, and I'm going to stop, and I'm going to pose, and I'm going to flex yes. everything. So, you wanted to talk about... <gasps> Can I talk about this movie? Yes, yes. please do. Okay, okay. It okay, was a so movie... what, what movie are we talking We're about? We're talking What a Way to Go. What a Way to Go. It's Shirley MacLaine. Oh. It's got Paul Newman. Oh. It's got Danny Kaye. Oh! <laughs> or not Danny Kaye. Oh, fuck, fuck, fuck. Oh. Um... Don't worry, I always Who was the, the dancing wrong. guy with the ass? I was just talking about. Gene Kelly. Gene, Gene Kelly. Kelly. I'm sorry. I get Does that. it have Donald O'Connor? No. Uh, but it's got um Oh, it's got so many people. It's got Dick Van Dyke. It's got wow. Dean Martin. How have it's I got, never heard of this movie? Oh, who is the guy that I always confuse Robert Peck or Gregory Peck with? I, I don't know. Who oh, is oh, that guy? Oh, oh, oh. I have to look up who because he has the best line in the movie. So essentially what this is, is this movie is a parody of all Hollywood movies. So this oh. woman Oh my god, it's got Robert Mitchum. That's Dean it, Robert Mitchum. Robert, oh. Robert Mitchum has the line. What are you doing after the orgy? Oh. <laughs> that is an actual line. Okay, so 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 this woman, um, she wants to have a simple life and 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 you know, live by Thoreau. She doesn't want to make a lot of money. Uh, so her parents are in this dirt poor town. They want her to marry the rich guy, uh, who is Dean Martin and heir to everything in the town where she falls in love with Dick Van Dyke. Who's just the simple guy who just wants to fish all day and read the row. So she marries him, uh, something. And, and so when she talks to the psychologist about how great their life was, um, she's like, it was like one of those great, charming old movies. And so it, she, she goes through a montage of her life as if it were a black and white silent movie. Oh! 
I love it already. It's adorable. So then something happens uh, with Dean Martin confronting Dick Van Dyke, and Dick Van Dyke decides that he's going to, like, start earning more money for her. And he gets to be super successful. And he's so successful that he has a heart attack and dies. And she's left with all this money. And so she's really upset. So she decides that, you know, she's going to go to Paris to find herself. (laughs) So she goes to Paris. She meets a cabbie. It's Paul Newman. He is this crazy-ass artist. And so they end up falling in love and hooking up. And so she's telling her psychologist, she's like, our life was like one of those torrid French movies. And it shows them making love in all these different ways. I mean, and it's filmed like a a black and white French movie. It's it's awesome. Wow. So, so, and then he ends up becoming a successful artist. And then he dies. So she wants to flee Paris because she's super upset. Her plane leaves, she misses it. And she runs into Robert Mitchum and he's like, you can ride my plane. And she recognizes him as this billionaire playboy. So they're in the plane. They're kind of not getting along. And then all of a sudden she's like, well, you know, he's got money. I've got money. He doesn't care about success. And so they decide to fall in love and get married. And she's like, our marriage was like this really super big, gigantic budget costume drama. And so their montage is nothing but her and all these ridiculous, ridiculous outfits and saying remind me to remind you to remind me to remind you that i love you and i mean it's hilarious <laughs> and her costumes are crazy crazy as how have i never heard of this it got panned and so it's like one of those things where like you either have heard about it or you come across it on cable and if you know movies you fall in love with it right away this has got to be like the skidoo of musicals yeah so <laughs> i i don't want to spoil it for you but Robert Mitchum dies in one of the most hilarious deaths in in the movie. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> so she's left with all this money. And so she's like trying to find herself in a cafe and she meets this sad sack performer that nobody seems to pay attention to. And it's Gene Kelly. And so she's like, you know, his act is never going anywhere. So she decides to marry him. And then lo and behold, his act becomes successful and he becomes this guy called Pinky. And But when she's talking about their marriage, it's like this musical and so it's them on a houseboat and doing the, all their musical things. And so she's kind of left with all this money and she keeps trying to give it back to the government. She's like, I don't want your money. And then anyway, she, she does end up marrying one more time. But if you love, if you love old movies, this, this, oh it's, my God, it's, it's fantastic. so charming. And people <laughs> hated it when it came out and critics panned it. So it didn't go anywhere, but it is, it is what wow. we, we own it. It is like one of my go-to movies, like, I'm having a bad day. Let's pop what? in What a Way to Go. Why isn't this a button movie? <gasps> Why isn't this oh, a button a thon movie? Need, we need to alert Harry Knowles we as soon as add- possible. We are out of listener questions, but I have some listener suggestions. We're out of listener questions? I know. Okay, listeners, we need you to answer our questions. And if you've already answered them, you can answer them again. That's totally fine. But we would love for more of you, if you're listening, to go to our website and answer our questions. Answer them. I've eaten my pizza and I've drunk my alcohol. Go to bed. Thank you for joining us in the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Our theme song was written by Tim Wick and Jeffrey Brown and recorded and mastered by Chad Dutton. New episodes arrive every Thursday. You can find us on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can also visit us at xanaducinema.com, follow us on Twitter at Xanadu Cinema, and like us on Facebook at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome.
whiskeyed.